0: Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif Project is talking to one of the talented authors who are writing queer women into historical fiction. Catherine Lundoff writes fantasy and science fiction, as well as historic stories and blends of those genres. And she has an alter ego who focuses on erotica. Welcome Catherine.
1: Hi Heather, thanks so much for having me on the podcast.
0: I particularly want to talk to you about some of the fiction in your new collection, Out of This World, queer speculative fiction stories, such as your take on Shakespeare's fictional sister. But there's another story I remember very fondly based on the operatic swordswoman, Julie Dabigny. So, uh, why don't we start there? How do those come out of your historic interests?
1: Well, I have a background in history. It's one of uh, my BAs. That's one of the things that I studied when I was in college. And I've always been fascinated by historical figures. I've also always been fascinated by the kind of people who get written out of history. So, it's been something that's kind of been an ongoing thing, and the story that you're referring to is a story called M. Um, Le Maupin, which is actually my very first published story. That was part of a, a magical interlude in which I, I used to be a bookseller, I had closed up my bookstore, and I was attending law school, and law school and I were not simpatico in a way that made me telekinetic, and really, I broke things with my mind. It was a very scary time. My partner, now wife, suggested that I try my hand at writing a bit of fiction. So I sat down and I wrote that story, and I sent it out the door, and it got accepted. And then it got accepted for a magazine that no longer exists, unfortunately, called Lesbian Short Fiction. And Alicia Austin, who was a famous fantasy author, was at the time dating the editor, and she did the front cover based on my story, which I got to tell you was the coolest thing ever.
0: Yeah, I think they were I think they were partners at the time. I remember that they, lesbian they short were. fiction very fondly. Yeah. They they bought a story of mine and unfortunately it was never published when the magazine folded. We were almost almost magazine sisters. <laughs>
1: almost. Almost. So one of the things that I, I got really interested in was looking at how, you know, women in general, but queer women in particular had presented themselves, had survived, had had adventures, had gone and done things. I grew up, Alexander Dumas was the way I maintained my sanity when I was a child living with my family. So I read a lot of Walter Scott. I read a lot of Howard Pyle. I read, you know, Robin Hood things. But Alexander Dumas was the guy.
0: And, and, and none of them <laughs> and, had enough women.
1: <laughs> none of them had enough women. But Dumas had Milady. Mm -hmm. and Milady, of course does not come to a particularly good end i don't think that's much of a spoiler for your audience (laughs) um but she's a fascinating character and she's actually based on a real person Uh there there was a spy in the caribbean who was actually doing some of the things that dumas based that character off and so there's all these kind of fascinating women who got you know written out of history there are you know the women who were able to disguise themselves as men and go on sailing ships, some of them for years at a time. You know, there were the women who fought in the Napoleonic armies and some of them presented as men. Some of them, you know, actually came to regard themselves as being male and would be called trans at this point in time. Um, Some of them were in fact straight and they were there for their lovers, but then they were having such a great time, like Deborah Sampson during the American Revolution, they just stuck around. And it's just, there's just some fascinating things out there. So, one of the ways I got into discovering some of these women was um, there's a book by Jessica Amanda Salmonson, yes. the Encyclopedia of Amazons. Yes. And so I started there and then, um, a press that no longer exists, unfortunately, called Canary books, did a whole series of wild women. So there was oh, wild yes. women of the West. I have those. Wild women <laughs> of medieval times. Wild, you know, and they're, they're, these they're, great they're not very
0: well cited, but, uh, but they're fascinating to read. No,
1: <laughs> no, but they're very inspirational. Yes. So if you're just looking for, wow, I want to do this. It's a, it's a lot of fun to play with. And the reason I got into, um, So I've had a couple of other historical stories that are not in Out of This World, which is the new collection. They will be in a later collection, Uh I'm working on another collection that'll be more historical fiction. Oh good. And um, I do some other things outside of that, I've been doing mysteries and gothic horror and a number of other things that play with that. The protagonists aren't necessarily queer, although you could read my story um, A Splash of Crimson* which is in an anthology called Respectable Horror that just came out a couple of months ago as queer because she's she's a governess and she's very obsessed with her dead mistress Mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a ghost story but it's got all that sort of you know du Maurier I I was about to mention du Maurier yes (laughs) which was part of the inspiration one reason I started writing about Judith, Shakespeare's apocryphal, presumably apocryphal sister, uh, was that I had read Virginia Woolf's essay and I was looking at it again and Connie Wilkins, who is a prominent editor in the field, who also edits Sachi Green, she does erotica mm-hmm. under Sachi and she does other kinds of fiction under, under Connie, had asked me to come up with an alternate history story. So I was looking at Virginia Woolf's essay that day and it was like, okay, so what if this was a real person? You know uh-huh. what were some uh-huh. other things that could have happened to her instead of what you know Wolf sets her up where she's <laughs> basically going to go to the city and because she's a woman she's going to fail. Uh-huh. It's like, well, what if she didn't present herself as a woman? And, and then of and course it's it, by I was going to
0: say and it's irresistible okay. to bring Kit Marlowe in.
1: Yes, well, Kit Marlowe, um, for those who may not be as familiar with him as you are, is the sort of the, the great gay playwright of Elizabethan <laughs> England, and he was among other things also a spy and he is commonly believed to have been assassinated in a tavern in Deptford um, as part of a connection to some of his spy work but he was also he was gay he was an atheist he ran around with Sir Walter Raleigh and some of the other you know members of the Elizabethan court who were subsequently disgraced because of their their lack of religious beliefs among other things and he was a really fascinating character uh, and I had just, I think, finished right around the same time I'd finished reading um, Anthony Burgess's A Dead Man in Deptford, mm-hmm. which is one of those historical novels that I would probably give an internal organ I wasn't using to have written. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. The whole thing, he never breaks out of dialect, you know, it's all an Elizabethan dialect. It's, you know, absolutely gripping. In part because you're working so hard to read it. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> but you know, it's beautifully written and it's fascinating and it brings up a lot of really interesting things about Marlowe. And I went on to read some of the other you know, biographies and so forth afterwards, but but Burgess really, really pulled me in and made him come alive. So once I put it together as Judith Shakespeare, Christopher Marlowe, <laughs> wacky hijing sin su. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I came up with that particular story, which is called Great Reckonings, Little Rooms, and it's from a line that Shakespeare wrote about Marlowe's assassination.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: the official story about Marlowe's death was that he was killed over the reckoning, the bar uh-huh. bill in this tavern in Deptford. One of the things that Shakespeare says at one point in one of the plays, I would have to check this one which which one it was, but he says in one of the plays that a rumor kills a man more dead than a great reckoning in a little room. Just a beautiful line. yeah. <laughs> and if you don't know the history behind it, it's just kind of well, that's interesting. Uh-huh. That, that that's actually what he's referring to as Marlowe's assassination because they were colleagues, and they were probably to some extent friends. Mm-hmm. so and it, and of course, recent scholarship has, has suggested that Marlowe did, in fact, write some of the plays that are now attributed to Shakespeare. so. It's all fascinating.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So, but I also write Regencies. I have a story called Bath Masquerade and I'll be doing another Regency that I'm working on now. I love Regencies. Regencies are fun.
0: Regencies are irresistible somehow. There's just, you know, it's like, it's almost the same as fanfic where there's this existing world to to play in that, that you don't have to recreate from scratch.
1: It is true. Yeah, so, so if I had to pick my absolute two favorites, it would probably be Regencies and Pirates. Uh-huh. So if, if I could blend the two, I would, but I think it's going to consist, you know, stick with Regencies <laughs> and Pirates. So, uh-huh. But I'm also working on a, I've written one story so far and I'm, I'm looking at writing a sort of continuation, a sequel and do it as more of a serial about a couple of women who were real women in the Caribbean who were spies and pirates and how they all intersected with each other. So that, that, that's, that's a new thing that's kind of bubbling away right now.
0: So you mentioned that you have an academic background in history. Mm-hmm. Could you tell a little more about that?
1: Um, I, have, I have a couple, like two BAs, and one of my BAs is in history and the other is in anthropology. And the reason being that when I started college, I was—I thought at one point I wanted to be a medievalist. Uh And then I found out what actually went into being a medievalist. (laughs) And then I got over that very quickly. It's still fascinating, it's just not for me. I started out in history and was most of the way to my degree and I had started taking some women's studies classes. And I had reached that point of wondering what exactly everybody who wasn't a white dude was actually doing during these time periods. Uh-huh. Oh, excuse me, a white dude or an exception? Because mm-hmm. they're always an exception. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, and that—that's women. That's people of color. That's you know people with disabilities. It's all kinds of things. They're always an exception. So I got, I got curious about all the exceptions. so I started taking anthropology classes, and I really got into those. So I got to the point where I I ended up with with two BAs, one in each, one in each major. And I spent several years working as a professional archaeologist. That was what I did until I went to grad school. And I went to grad school in feminist anthropology, which is a blend of women's studies and anthropology. But history has always been kind of an ongoing hobby. And a lot of my interest in it is, I, I should mention, my father actually was a history professor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he, he died when I was very young. But I had this fabulous history teacher in high school who had been in the Hungarian cavalry in World War II and was a Hungarian refugee living in New York and teaching history. And he was amazing. He was this great, great guy. And I learned so much from him. And he was the one who got me very excited about things. So that was originally how I got into it. But I also i have always had a real fondness for historical fiction. It was a magical, magical day when I realized that Duma had actually based a lot of his novels on real people. And once I got into that, um, Dr. Carrie Mont has a, a, a really great book called the, she wrote it with another author. Um, Called the four musketeers uh-huh. that's a history of where duma drew, drew his influences and who he based which characters on and how they all mesh together yeah she,
0: she's and a she's a major Dumas fan i can tell
1: yes yes she is she is and so that was you know a lot of where that started but the thing about it is that as with fanfic at a certain point you're like well i don't feel like i'm a part of this story So what would have to change so that I as a woman, I as, in my case, identify as bi, but as a queer woman, how do I fit myself into this so that I am part of the adventure? Because you know, even as a child, even reading stuff, I would read stuff and go, but there's no girls. So what, what, how come there's never any girls? (laughs) yeah yeah and that that's usually kind of the basic point i think that that a lot of people start with is if, if they're outside the the dominant narrative is why is there nobody like me in this
0: i i think that's one of the the answers to a question that that i always think is a silly interview question which is so why do you write this type of character in this type of story and it, <laughs> i and i always think it but but it's because i want to see myself there
1: yeah yeah and that there's When you look at just the sheer wealth of just focusing for a moment on queer female characters who are villainous, dead, suddenly discover they're straight, and on and on and on, lose their loved ones, all of the other things that go into that, to get queer women by women lesbians trans women written into narratives as protagonists is a major thing and to be able to do it with somebody who really existed yeah. whose story is not very well known it is is a gift i mean it's it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to celebrate at least a version of who that person might have been
0: So how do you feel that having a a formal background in history has affected your fiction writing other than giving you a, a running head start on the research?
1: I think it actually really does impact how I do research. I put myself through graduate school as a research assistant, hired myself out to various professors and would run around and research things that might or might not be germane to anything I was personally interested in. But learning to go through and learning the difference between primary and secondary sources, learning how to evaluate what you're reading and how it compares to other sources of the time or other interpretations you can find has really been very helpful. I mean, that, that's how I got into a lot of it. So one of the things that I read for fun is social histories and biographies. And there's you know just some amazing things that are coming out now for... Again, again, people who weren't that well-known or were well-known, but mysteriously don't have a contemporary biography. I'm thinking of Afra Ben, the playwright, who is the first woman who is known to have supported herself through her writing. And she was an English woman who lived during the Restoration. Janet Todd, who's an English historian, has just re-released her fabulous, fabulous biography of Afra Ben called The Secret Life of Afra Ben. Amongst other things, Afra Ben was also a spy. By contemporary standards, she was probably bisexual. She wrote plays, she hung out with all the great rakes of the, the Restoration <laughs> Court, and they had these wild times together, and she's just a fascinating, fascinating character. One of the points that Janet Todd brings up in this very, very large biography of Yes, I it, know. I, I have, have it. <laughs> old, uh, oh, love that book is how little is really known about her so you have like these signposts where she publishes something she published a she wrote and published a play which eventually did get performed called Orinoco yes. which is about an African prince who's enslaved it, it was read even at the time period as being like an early abolitionist work because she makes him a very noble character so you have like a signpost for Orinoco and you have a signpost for when she left Suriname, but nothing about why she left Suriname was there to begin with. And then you have like the Rover and a couple of other things and then she dies. But mm-hmm. there's like nothing about the details in between there. Well, and, and one of the and, things that I think historical fiction does is fill it's the opportunity to fill in some of those, those spaces.
0: And, and she did a certain yeah, amount ahead. of fictionalizing of her own life as well. I, is what I got the impression. Mm-hmm. So that muddies the waters even more. Muddy waters are a great place to find treasures, though. (laughs) It is true. So what projects that you have coming up would you like to tell us about?
1: Well, one of the things that I'm doing right now is in January, I launched my own small press. This has been in the planning stages for a couple of years now. Um, It's called Queen of Swords Press. And eventually what I want to do is I want to have one of the imprints focus on... Historical fiction with fantastical elements. So, alternate histories, um, what's known as manor punk, which is kind of like regency fantasies, you know, but it's not strictly regencies, it kind of spills over into other time periods. All the different permutations of that time travel. There's a whole subset of fantasy literature that has no explicit fantastical elements, but it's very historical. I'm thinking of things like Ellen Kushner's Swords Point. And some of Delia Sherman's work and some other authors. And I'm, I'm very, I love that stuff. That stuff's really fun. Your Alpenia series is another example. Ruritanian romances. So there's all these things that are out there that, I, I, that really engage me. So ultimately, I want to have an imprint that focuses on that. There's going to be other imprints as well. Right now, we're still in the launch phase. So I'm going through my own backlist and I'm re-releasing things in different packaging and different covers with different edits and so forth. So there'll be, you know, a subset that will be LGBT science fiction, fantasy, and horror. I would like to get to a point where I'm publishing some authors that are otherwise not getting much play right now, who I think are unjustly forgotten, or don't get quite the the publicity that they really have earned with their work. So I've got some big plans for it, you know, going forward, I think it'll probably be next year before I'm ready to even start looking at other people's book proposals and queries and so forth. I'm right now talking to somebody else who does editing, and we're talking about co-editing a project. So we'll probably be doing that at the beginning of next year so that's kind of the, the ongoing big thing. And with that, I've just re-released my lesbian menopausal werewolf novel Silver Moon. Which is kind of it's a coming out novel. It it ended up when it came out originally in 2012, it it finaled for both the Goldie Award for lesbian fiction and the bisexual book awards in science fiction and fantasy, which I found kind of interesting. And it was it was nice to know that it it, it felt, you know, it spoke to a broad audience. I'm working on a sequel for that, which Uh is the the long-promised sequel that people occasionally send me peevish emails about. I'm working on it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And in addition, how can people contact you or follow you on on Um, social media?
1: I am out on Twitter as C. Lundoff. Queen of Swords also has its own Twitter feed, and then Emily Byrne has her own Twitter feed, all of which you can pretty much find off my Twitter feed, so C-L-U-N-D-O-F-F. I have a Facebook author page, Um, I'm also out on Facebook. Presumably if one doesn't want the political rants, then I have a Facebook author page where it's just about books. (laughs) Queen of Swords also has um, its own Facebook page and its own website. I do update all of the things that I am personally doing in my various personas in the Queen of Swords Press newsletter, which is free and you can sign up for it on the Queen of Swords website, which is oddly enough, www.queenofswordspress.com.
0: Thank you so much, Catherine, for sharing your time with the Lesbian Historic Motif Project. Thank you.
1: This has been a lot of fun.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif Podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon.